Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today you'll be hearing part three, the final episode of the murder of Jackie Waller. Small talk sucks, so let's dive in. In last week's episode, we went over Clay's three charges, one for stealing back in 2010, one for harassment of a man named Gary, and another federal charge of internet harassment after Clay walked into a pizza shop and used their computer to send a threatening message to Jackie's sister. While each of Clay's arrests felt like a win and a step in the right direction, there was still a frustration that none of them were in relation to Jackie's disappearance. And while it was frustrating, no one had any doubt that his time was coming. While Clay was juggling his mess of charges unrelated to Jackie, the Jackson Police Department was working day and night to build a case against him that would bring her justice. And they had a hell of a lot more to go on than the public knew. Let's start from the beginning. We know from episode one that Clay told police that Jackie had come to his house to talk about bankruptcy. But that's just one of the stories he told. In several court documents obtained by the Southeast Missourian, you can see that many different stories were told over time. In one version, he said that Jackie was coming to his house to bring her his P.O. box key and that they actually took a nap together. After that nap is when he says that they started arguing about the bankruptcy. He actually thought that bringing over his P.O. box key was a solid story, knowing very well that everyone knew they'd just been in the same place for over an hour talking about divorce, as if she couldn't have given it to him at the attorney's office, and that the key would only appear if they were in the same residential building together. And a nap after a failed divorce hearing? Get out of here. In another version of events, Clay told police that it wasn't a key or a nap that she was coming over for. Clay had the audacity to say that Jackie had come over for sex and to talk about bankruptcy. Somehow Clay thought that anyone on Bob Ross's green earth would believe that those two things were scheduled to happen at the same time ever. All of Clay's version of events end in an argument. Through the documents from the Southeast Missourian, I found three different reasons. One, obviously, is bankruptcy, and the other two reasons he gave were retirement accounts and him allegedly confessing that he'd had an affair. The only truthful aspect of any of Clay's stories seems to be the affair. 
Clay's recent ex-girlfriend Cassandra told KFBS that the affair had started a year prior back in 2010 and that at the time, she thought Clay was her knight in shining armor and had no idea that he was crazy. It wasn't until after Jackie disappeared that shit started to hit the fan. Cassandra told the station that Clay started popping up out of nowhere, including inside of her apartment. To attest to the actual nightmare that Clay is, Cassandra said that she found Clay hiding in her closet one time, and another time she found him hiding in her car. After Jackie's disappearance from Clay's house, it's as if Cassandra became his next obsession. She told KFBS that she'd been in contact with the police and that she continues to cooperate with them and added that she knows Clay did it, she just can't prove it, that she thought for sure he'd tell her what happened. Sticking with the basics that Jackie went to Clay's house and that they got into an argument, let's look at the next piece of Clay's story, that after Jackie got upset, she left on foot. That has never made any sense, but there was a piece missing that none of us knew about. According to an affidavit obtained by the Southeast Missourian, Clay told police that after the argument, Jackie wanted to leave, but Clay wouldn't give her her keys back. During that act of shitbaggery, Clay then proceeded to throw her keys towards the driveway and into a tree. He says that Jackie called him a fucking idiot, and if so, she is correct. It's after he says her keys were stuck in the tree that he claims she walked away on foot towards a friend's house. From what I can tell, the only friend she might have had in the area were the people letting Clay stay in that house, and they never saw her. After Clay claims Jackie walked away, he says that he used a broom handle to get the keys out of the tree and left them on Jackie's windshield. We know that Clay said that he left the house once Jackie walked away, and I suppose after he claims he got her keys out of the tree. But what we didn't know was that he told police that he conveniently left his house without his phone. Okay, Clay. In episode one, we talked about the fact that so far, Clay had zero alibis for his whereabouts for those two hours between 4 p.m. when he says he left and 6 p.m. when he says he got back and Jackie's car was gone. Listen to this shit. According to that affidavit from the Southeast Missourian, Clay told police that during those two hours, he drove around town with his boat hooked up to his truck, occasionally pulling over to the side of the road to work on that boat, work on crossword puzzles, and to occasionally pee in the park. In the history of terrible alibis, this is quite possibly the dumbest. It was so dumb that Clay seemed to trip up over his own stories, and at one point, when police asked him to go over the events of the day again, he told them that he'd have to look at his previous statement, like he was going to have to go over his lines before he gave another performance. Pulling a boat behind a truck is a task. You have to hook it up and then commit to the extra gas you're about to blow through and the extra effort it takes to stay in your lane. And none of his story involved parking lots. Did he pee in a store or even a gas station? No, he drove to a park to do it. Did he go to the park to work on his boat or his trusty crossword puzzles? 
No, he saved that for the side of the road. All three things, boat maintenance, crossword puzzles, and peeing, could all be done at his house, which he left. For what reason? Let's jump ahead to 6 p.m. when Clay says he got back to his house only to find Jackie and her SUV gone. Cool story. We already know that a witness says that they saw her car there after he says she left, but let's break it down even further. According to a probable cause document from the Southeast Missourian, when Jackie got to Clay's house, she parked her SUV by an industrial dumpster. A witness confirmed that they saw Jackie's SUV there and that they saw Clay hooking his boat up to the truck in front of that dumpster. And while the witness saw all that, she never saw Jackie. At 6 p.m., witnesses say that they saw Clay's truck parked by Jackie's SUV. With that statement alone, we can cross off any validity of him claiming to not have seen her car when he came back. Fast forwarding a little, several witnesses said that at 8 p.m., Jackie's SUV was still parked by that dumpster. Between 8.30 and 9 p.m. that night, the documents state that Jackie's mother called Clay's brother and asked him to go to Clay's to see if they could find Jackie. He went over there but didn't find anyone at the house. Not Clay, not Jackie, but he did see her SUV. Between 9.12 and 9.21 p.m., the Southeast Missourian reports that both of Jackie's cell phones stopped sending signals. Yes, there were two. If Jackie had turned them off by herself, what are the chances that she'd turned one off and waited another nine minutes to turn off the second? Unless someone else turned them off and didn't realize there were two for at least nine minutes. And while Jackie's phones were cut off at those times, the last outgoing calls were more than three hours earlier, around the time Clay says that he got back to the house. The calls make no sense. At 6.02 p.m., Jackie's phone made an outgoing call to a co-worker. No one answered. At 6.03 p.m., the last outgoing call her phone ever made was to Clay, which he didn't answer. Two of the most random people to call, a co-worker and your estranged husband, if you're planning on running away to escape your life. By 9.45 p.m. that night, the owner of the home that Clay was staying at got wind of everything that was going on, so she went over to Clay's house. When she got there, she found him out of breath on the front porch. I shit you not, he told her that he had just completed a bike ride. And all of a sudden, the whole, we think someone ditched the car and rode off on a bike thing, makes sense. The owner of the home wound up telling Clay that he needed to call Jackie's mom and tell her where her daughter and grandson were. Obviously, that didn't happen, and both Jackie's family and Clay reported her missing just hours later. Obviously, that story is full of holes and bullshit, but there's a piece that we haven't touched on yet. Jackie's son, the one she thought she was going to Clay's house to pick up. According to documents from the Southeast Missourian, Clay actually had dinner plans with his girlfriend the night that Jackie disappeared. But at 6.47 p.m., he told her that he wouldn't be able to make it. He asked her to keep his and Jackie's son for a little while longer. He told her that he'd let her know when he was ready to get him, so she ran some errands, and according to Crime Watch Daily, even met Clay at a toy store, but by 10 p.m., he asked his girlfriend to keep his son overnight. 
Until that day, Clay's son had never spent the night at Clay's girlfriend's house without his dad there. In surveillance video obtained by Crime Watch Daily, Clay was seen at a self-service car wash that night cleaning out his boat. A boat that had a little blue kitchen-looking trash can in it that when at the toy store had been in the back of his truck. What could he have been doing between the toy store and the car wash that would have prompted him to move a trash can from the back of his truck and into his boat? Maybe it had something to do with the witness who, according to Crime Watch Daily, came forward to say that they'd seen a little boat matching the description of Clay's boat floating near Devil's Island on the Mississippi River, just miles from where he lived. By June 2nd, police already suspected that Jackie had been murdered, and it was time to try and locate her SUV. We know that it was found on I-55 with a flat tire, but now we find out why. According to probable cause documents from the Southeast Missourian, Jackie's tire had been punctured three times while stationary. They knew her tire had been popped after it was parked because the holes in her tire were flat. Had they have been caused while her car was driving, they would have been crescent-shaped. At this point, it was time to take Clay's truck into custody and search it from top to bottom. According to Crime Watch Daily, when they did, they found blood. A significant amount of it on the inside handle of the driver's side door. It almost felt too easy, but that's because it was. The blood found on the handle was fish blood. In the Crime Watch Daily episode, you can watch a video that Clay took from his phone where he's talking to himself saying, I just did that in fish blood, saying that he wanted to see if the police would be shady or not. That literally made sense in this shit bird's head. The police were looking for his missing estranged wife, and he decided to plant fish blood in his truck, knowing that it would ring alarm bells, and he did it to see if they would be shady. Well, they weren't, and they didn't have to be. Because not long after, they found a significant amount of Jackie's blood. As we know from previous episodes, the owner of the home that Clay was living in told him that he needed to pack up and leave, so he did. But according to the documents from the Southeast Missourian, when the owner went back to the house, they noticed that a couple of things were missing. A quilt from one of the upstairs bedrooms and the entire carpet from the fucking hallway. Upon further examination, the homeowner also found what looked like blood on the floor of the hallway bathroom, and it looked like there were some scratch marks on the hallway walls from someone who tried a little too hard to clean them up. Naturally, the homeowner called police and basically told them to have at it and search the entire house top to bottom. So that's what they did for days. In the hallways, police found exactly what the homeowner did. Blood spatter. But it wasn't just the bathroom floor. It was all over both sides of the walls and the floor, which meant that there had been enough blood on the carpet that it seeped through, then through the padding and onto the subfloor. In the Crime Watch Daily episode, you can see evidence tags numbered all the way up to 25. 
The Southeast Missourian reported that the spatter started at the beginning of the hallway and moved towards the master bedroom. When tested, the blood in the hallway wasn't fish blood, it was Jackie's, and now they needed to find the missing carpet. One might assume that it was long gone, knowing Clay had parked near an industrial dumpster and had a trash can in the back of his truck that eventually moved to the back of his boat, but Clay is an idiot. As the police moved their search throughout the house, they made their way to the basement where they noticed an opening to a crawl space. According to documents from the Southeast Missourian, it was clear that the crawl space was once littered with cobwebs and dust, but now had a clear path through them that someone had recently disturbed. Dude was the Hansel and Gretel of please find this evidence. Police followed the trail and made their way into the crawl space and 54 feet away in the furthest corner of the room under two sections of ductwork and two steel beams, some of which the Southeast Missourian reports only gave a little more than a foot and a half of space to crawl under, they found the carpet and the carpet padding. Some was laid out on the floor and some was half-assed hidden in the rafters. It had been cut up into several pieces, but cutting up a carpet into a puzzle doesn't make the blood disappear, and the blood found still soaking the carpet was Jackie's. Adding all of this up, it sounds like a slam dunk case, but Jackie's body was still missing. No body cases are hard, not impossible, but hard. This department had no intentions of charging Clay until they knew that they could put him away for life. So they kept working to build the strongest case they could before they charged Clay with Jackie's murder. And they had some time. KFVS reports that Clay was sentenced to five years in federal prison for those internet harassment charges. So now they didn't have to worry about Clay planting or hiding any more evidence. One of law enforcement's top priorities was getting Clay's dad's statement on the record. The Southeast Missourian reported that they wanted to depose him to get a statement about Clay's alleged confession on the record so that when it came time, it could be used at trial. To depose someone is to get a deposition. In this instance, they wanted to get Clay's father's sworn testimony so it could be used in court. He wasn't doing well and the prosecution worried that he might not live long enough to testify in trial. Sure, they had his father's statement, which of course the Southeast Missourian got a copy of. It stated that Clay had come to his father a couple of days after Jackie went missing, emotional and crying, and told him that the hole for Jackie's body had already been dug and that he had killed her and then buried her in it. It's one hell of a statement, and it's easy to see why they wanted it as sworn testimony for the trial, especially if they did find her buried. This entire thing was a long, drawn-out back and forth through the legal system. The main argument against it was that Jackie was still considered a missing person and Clay had not been charged with murder. Could they legally try and get a deposition for a murder that hadn't been declared yet in preparation for a trial there wasn't a charge for? All of us are probably sitting back and screaming, hoping that they got the deposition. And the prosecution was too. They knew more than we do, and what we know is pretty convincing. In the end, though, it wasn't enough. The deposition request was denied, and Clay's father passed away a month later in December of 2011. This felt like a massive blow, but around the same time, there was significant movement in the searches for Jackie. 
A month before Clay's father passed, the Southeast Missourian reports that a transportation worker who was walking near a ravine off of the side of I-55 near where Jackie's SUV had been found came across a camera bag and called police. No one knew that a camera bag had been missing from Jackie's car. It seems crazy that that could have been missed all of this time, but at the time of Jackie's disappearance, KFVS reports that the area had been covered in six to eight feet of briars and was virtually impossible to search. It wasn't until the fall that it was possible to mow, and that's when the camera bag was found. That's not all they found, though. Obviously, police rushed over there to do a full-on grid search, and they left no stone unturned. It took days, and according to the outlet, they even set up lights and left guards in the area overnight until they could search again in the morning. According to the Southeast Missourian, throughout that search, they also found pieces of Jackie's purse, pieces of cell phones that matched the description of Jackie's, her credit cards, her driver's license, and other contents from her purse. The case against Clay was heavy, and in April of 2012, it finally happened. Clay was charged with Jackie's murder. They may not have had his father's confession or Jackie's body, but they were confident in their case against him and ready to take it to trial. Clay pled not guilty, and for the next six months, the hearings were constant. The San Francisco Gate reported that two witnesses testified to the fact that Clay threatened to kill Jackie before she disappeared, and according to KFVS, Clay's defense tried to get the two phone calls Jackie made on the way to Clay's thrown out as hearsay. I mean, those two phone calls really would throw a foghorn into Clay's claim that she was never going to his house to pick up their son. A trial date was set for September of 2012, but just one month earlier, a really specific and really thorough search for Jackie was done at Devil's Island. It's this heavily wooded island off of Cape Girardeau that would have been easily accessed by Clay and his boat. KFVS reported that more than 40 trained professionals with boats, ATVs, and canines searched the island, but no news came from it. It seemed way too specific to be nothing, but it didn't seem like anyone heard any news. That is, until eight months later, when the outlet reported that searchers were seen on Devil's Island again. At that point, everyone knew that Devil's Island had to be something, and they were right. Just one day later, on May 29th, KFVS announced that just shy of two years to the day that Jackie disappeared, her remains had been found. But how? What had led them to Devil's Island? As it turns out, it was Clay. He wanted to make a deal. A deal sounds like bullshit from the outside looking in, but we are on the outside. Jackie's family was not. According to a press conference, KFVS reported that Jackie's family said that they had to weigh whether or not to give Clay what he deserved or to give Jackie what she deserved. Jackie won. Jackie deserved to be laid to rest, so Clay was offered a deal. 
the details of Jackie's murder and the location of her body for a 20 to 25 year sentence. The Crime Watch Daily episode had audio and video of Clay's confession and is fucking nauseating. In trying to get the truth out of him, the DA told KFVS that everything Clay told them was geared towards protecting himself as much as possible while still meeting the requirements of his plea deal. In Clay's confession, he told law enforcement that he'd thought about killing Jackie before, but had never followed through with it until he did. Prior to killing Jackie, the Daily Mail reports that Clay had scoped out the location to bury her by helicopter. According to the outlet, his cell phone records confirmed it. I couldn't figure out how he would have had access to a helicopter until I remembered that Jackie had told someone that she didn't want to report Clay to the police because she was afraid he wouldn't get his pilot's license. Once Clay picked Devil's Island, KFVS reports that the day before he killed Jackie, he went out there and dug a hole. When Clay was at that divorce hearing getting upset about retirement accounts and trying to talk her out of filing the papers, he knew that he had already dug a hole for her body and was planning on killing her right after that meeting. According to the Crime Watch Daily episode, once Jackie got to the house, Clay said that he backhanded her across the back of the neck so hard that she fell on the ground. Once she was on the ground, he stood over her and punched her in the nose. Jackie told him that he would never see the kids again, and that's when he says he pressed his forearm into her neck until she stopped breathing. He told law enforcement that she died right there. Clay claims that he only punched Jackie once, but according to the outlet, her autopsy showed multiple fractures to her face and skull. After Clay killed Jackie, KFBS reports that he put her into that little blue trash can and put it into the back of the truck. According to Crime Watch Daily, Jackie's body was in that trash can when Clay met his girlfriend and son at the toy store. Clay then took Jackie's body to Devil's Island, placed her into the hole that he had dug the day before, and according to Crime Watch Daily, poured fertilizer over her body. That fertilizer is how they wound up finding her. In the episode, detectives told Crime Watch Daily that they had searched the island for her body multiple times but could never find it. It wasn't until someone remembered something they'd read, about too much fertilizer killing plants, that they started digging near the only dead tree on the island. And that's where Jackie was. Her parents told the outlet that Jackie's funeral was held on their 50th wedding anniversary. When it came time for Clay's sentencing hearing, everyone got a chance to speak, even Clay. KFVS and the Daily Mail reported on a recording that Clay's son had made that was played in court. Pieced together, it said the following. You killed our mom. You're a big fat jerk. I thought you were a good guy. Now I know you're not. I wish you were never my dad. Please stay in jail forever. I never want to see you again. We don't like you anymore. In the video from Crime Watch Daily, you can see Clay's reaction, which was absolutely nothing. When the son he wanted to take to California and kept an additional night told him that he was a big fat jerk and that they didn't want to see him anymore, Clay had no reaction. 
According to the Daily Mail, Jackie's sister told him, to someone who has always considered himself the smartest guy in the room, you just look like a skinny, washed-up, murdering con man to everyone in this room. I immediately knew you killed my sister. All Clay had to say for himself was, we got into an argument, I lost my temper. Which is fucking insane. We know how much planning went into Jackie's murder. And at his sentencing, he went back to the we got into an argument story. Sure, a brief argument where she told him that he'd never see the kids again after he hit her a day after he dug a hole to bury her body in. While Clay didn't have a lot to say at his sentencing, he had a lot more to say just prior to it. Crime Watch Daily played a jailhouse phone call he'd made to a family member where he said, I'm going to stand up in court tomorrow and tell everybody to fuck themselves. Why should I care what they're going through if they don't care what I'm going through? It happened two years ago. I just want to move on. There are no words. After the impact statements were heard, KFVS reports that the judge told him 20 years in prison is not what you deserve, but it will have to do. According to Fox 2, the law only requires him to serve 85% of his sentence minimum, which meant that Clay could have gotten out as early as 2030. But the entire world agreed that Clay was a piece of shit, and when the feds caught wind that he'd written a manuscript titled If You Take My Kids, I'll Kill You, the public confession of Missouri's most notorious wife killers, the Southeast Missourian reports that he was given a federal charge of interstate domestic violence. Technically, even though Devil's Island was close to Cape Girardeau, Jackie's body was found in Illinois. Crossing state lines meant that it qualified as a federal crime. Clay pled guilty because, I mean, good luck trying to prove that the book about the details of the murder you committed wasn't a full-on confession. In his plea, he agreed to a 35-year sentence, but at his sentencing, Clay still couldn't hold himself back from being a complete shitball and, according to the outlet, told the court, that sounds like a lot of time. It is, and that's the point. On top of his 20 to 25 years, Clay got an additional 35, bringing his grand total to 55 to 60 years in prison. Thanks to the Jackson Police Department, federal law enforcement agencies, Jackie's family who never quit, and the community that supported them every step of the way, the likelihood that Clay will ever breathe a single breath of free air for the rest of his life is slim to none. All Jackie ever wanted was a family, and Clay did everything in his power to make her dream a nightmare. According to Crime Watch Daily, Jackie's sister and her husband have since adopted the triplets, and Jackie's parents moved closer to the kids to be able to watch them grow up. Though their mom can't physically be around to kiss their boo-boos or watch them graduate, they will never have to question just how much they're loved. For all photos pertaining to this case, check out Jackie's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley, and join me there tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern, where you go live with me and we talk about today's episode and all other true crime cases on your mind. 
If you like your podcast ad-free, head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bigmadtruecrime, where for just one whole dollar a month, your episodes are totally ad-free. If you need more episodes in your life, for just $5 a month, you get a bonus episode on the first Monday of every month, which is today. All your episodes are ad-free, and you'll also receive a forever discount code for all Big Mad True Crime merch. And of course, anytime you sign up, you get instant access to all previous bonus episodes. I'll be bringing you a brand new case a week from today, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out.